This is Your Path with Bishop Mark from Dallas Universal Life Church in Dallas, Texas. Forget what you think you know about church. Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said things I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him, in my name. I'm giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. Praise to you. Thank you very much. Be seated, please. I say good afternoon to you. On one occasion, King David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? To which the Lord replied, go up. And David defeated the Philistines. Threatened again by the same enemy, the same David asked the same Lord the same question, and this time the answer was, You shall not go up, but wait until you hear the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, for then the Lord will go out before you. 
this illustrates to us that the way uh, the ways of the Holy Spirit are not always the same. At the Jerusalem Pentecost, the three phenomena of a wind-like noise, fire-like tongues, and coherent words in strange languages heralded the dawn of the age of the Spirit. The Apostle Peter preached, and people received the word and were baptized. At the Samaritan Pentecost, the evangelist Philip preached, and the apostles sent Peter and John to confirm those who had received the word and been baptized. These two apostles laid their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> In the precursor to the Gentile Pentecost, the devout Ethiopian eunuch interrupted Philip's one-to-one -one sermon to ask, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And upon a short confession of faith, the evangelist baptized him there. In our present passage, when Peter preached to the household of Cornelius, the sovereign Holy Spirit fell on all them which heard the word during the sermon. And these people spoke with tongues and magnified God. In this instance, baptism was administered afterwards. Luke tells us it was while Peter was still speaking that the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. It is evident that, that they had believed that word too, for that is exactly the point in Peter's sermon where this divine intervention took place. The Jewish believers who accompanied Peter to Cornelius' Cornelius's house were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon Gentiles also. But Peter had already learned that God is without partiality from his earlier vision and had underlined the points at the beginning of his sermon. The signs following were speaking in tongues and magnifying God, both of which had also occurred at Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit himself was announcing to the world that the barrier between Jew and Gentile was surely broken down. Babel was reversed. Peter, Peter's explanation of this event is telling. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Since God had evidently baptized them with his Holy Spirit, who is Peter to withstand God? And can anyone, he asked, forbid them uh, water to be baptized? And this passage stands amid an interchange of hospitality between Jews and Gentiles. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, sent for Peter the Jew. After his vision, Peter the Jew entertained the Roman centurion's messengers. Then Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion, entertained Peter and his Jewish friends at his own home. After their baptism, Cornelius and his family and co uh, compatriots uh, pressed upon Peter to remain for a few days, no doubt to learn more about their newfound faith. Now let us fulfill our commission in proclaiming Jesus to be the Christ and worshiping the name of our great God. But God forbid that we should ever seek to put a straitjacket upon the Holy Spirit telling God he may or may not save. As Peter's inquis inquisitors also concluded, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance into life. Talking about today's psalm reading, the psalmist is calling us to sing of the mighty acts of the Lord, whereby he has gotten himself the victory, secured our salvation, and demonstrated his righteousness. This reaches back to the Exodus when Moses and Miriam celebrated the defeat of the horse and his rider at the Red Sea. It reaches forward to the mission of Jesus, culminating in the imputation of his righteousness to his people and his ultimate return to judge the earth. The words of this psalm may seem very martial to some, but this is in keeping with some of the canticles of the Old Testament. 
the song of Moses and Miriam we have already mentioned uh, mentioned then there is the song of Deborah and the song of Hannah in the New Testament likewise a martial theme emerges in the midst of the song of Mary and the song of Zacharias one thing which all these songs hold in common with our psalm is that the victory or salvation comes from the Lord this was the case as well historically and in fulfillment of the words of this psalm when the Persians marched into Babylon not a shot was fired and King Cyrus proceeded to announce the, the uh, repatriation of the Jewish exiles. Thus the Lord made known his salvation and openly showed his righteousness to the, to the heathen. Now another form of reference is the prophecy of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem upon a donkey. There again the themes of victory and salvation speak praise to the coming king. Ultimately he shall return in glory to judge the earth, this time upon a white horse. The reference to the right hand of the Lord is a clear echo of the Song of Moses from Exodus chapter 15 verse 6. The word translated victory in some translations of Psalm 98 is the same word as is translated salvation in Psalm 98 2 through 3. These points forward to the victory which our Lord Jesus Christ is, was going to accomplish on the cross of Calvary, even our salvation from sin and corruption and death. It is in the coming and passion of Jesus that the Lord has made known his salvation we are saved by laying hold upon the grace of God through the instrumentality of faith in the crucified one. The gospel of Christ reveals the righteousness of God and our faith in Jesus puts us on a right standing with God. The salvation victory is openly displayed to the nations. Jesus made an open show of his triumph over the forces of evil in his resurrection and ascension. Since then, the gospel has been preached to all nations throughout the whole world. It is the mercy of the Lord toward the house of Israel which first captures the imagination of the nations. Salvation, we must remember, is of the Jews. The church is grafted into Israel, and we are blessed with faithful Abraham. The second section of the psalm calls upon the congregation of God's people throughout the earth to make a joyful noise. You don't have to be in the choir or in the in, the, in the, of the pulpit in order to sing praises to the Lord. The emphasis falls rather upon the command to rejoice. The mention of the instrument called the lyre puts us in mind of the sweet psalmist of Israel uh, in 2 Samuel 23rd verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 1, who himself called upon his, his stringed instruments to join him in awakening the dawn, whilst trumpets may proclaim victory or tell us to remain on the battlefield, the blast of the ram's horn will surely remind us of the year of the Jubilee. It is the year of the Lord's favor and stands for the whole Christian era right through to the coming of the Lord in judgment at the end of the age. And the final section calls upon the natural world to join our joyful noise. The sea adds its, its I, this word I can never get, and I love the word, cacophony. Did I say it right that time? The sea adds its cacophony to the resounding praise of the redeemed world. The rivers clap and the hills cannot contain their joy. The righteous judge is coming and he has said, Behold, I make all things new. Jesus asked his disciple, Whom do you say that I am? Peter replied on behalf of all of us, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. John picks up these two elements of Peter's testimony. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world. 
John tells us elsewhere that whoever believes in the only begotten Son of God has everlasting life. Now, there's a close relationship between such believing and being born again. This is the substance and the empowerment of our faith. In this letter, John enumerates some of the marks of the new birth. Doing righteousness. The absence of sin is a ruling principle in our, in our lives. A mutual love of the brethren. A faith that overcomes the world. The argument in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 continues on the assumption that those who are born of God will also love God. Furthermore, part of our love for God is demonstrated in our love for our fellow believers within the family of God. This letter addresses the challenge of assurance. How do I know that my love for the brethren is anything other than empty? If well-meant words, measure it by your love of God. How do we know that our love of God is real? When his commandments are not grievous to, grievous to us, how do we know that our, our keeping of his commandments is not just a legalistic attempt to win his favor? By the faith within us, a faith which has already overcome and is overcoming the world. It is interesting to note that 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 begins, All that is born of God overcomes the world. On just this one occasion, this is written in the neuter. The deeds of faith performed by born-again people are just as much begotten of God as the people who perform them. This should give encouragement for day-by-day -day Christian service. We have spoken of the faith that overcomes, but what is the world that it overcomes? This is the world of rebellion against God, the domain of sin and death, which Jesus overcame in his death and resurrection. Our victory is based in his victory, and we also are overcomers. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God and put our trust in him. He that is in you is greater than that is then he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, and therefore you are able to overcome the lies of the devil and his cohorts. Jesus is the Son of God. He became incarnate in the world of men and was acknowledged by the Father at the waters of his baptism. His blood was shed at Calvary on our behalf, a death certified by the might, by the might of Rome. Yet we know that we know that that was not the end. Death could not hold him. Good Friday gave away to Easter Sunday, death to life, seeming defeat to a certain victory. Metaphorically speaking, the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ flows through your veins and my veins. Our faith is based objectively in the truth of the scripture as witnessed by the spirit of truth. There is also the inner witness of God's Spirit that we are indeed the children of God. From John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17, when a Christian is going through trials, it may not be some, judgment, some temporal judgment for some particular sin, but rather that the Lord is testing them for their own improvement. Will, he keep, will we keep his commandments in the face of trials and go on abiding in his love or not? When we abide in Jesus, the true vine, not only do we dwell in his love, but we also partake of his joy. Special joy in the redemption of his people. And we are privileged to share in that joy. We have such a special joy in his goodness to us that we hardly need to look for reasons to keep the apostolic precept to rejoice in the Lord. Yet we should not be so insular as to make our receipt of Jesus' love an end in itself. We should also love his people. 
sacrificially as he first loved us. This is the love whereby the husband must love the wife and whereby we must love the brethren. It is a wonderful privilege to be called friends by Jesus. He has given us his word because we are his friends. But that friendship, if we consider it real, carries such responsibilities as culminate in his commandments to love. The Lord exhorts us to abide in the vine, yet it is the Lord who first placed us there. It is he who first chose us and not we him, and who put us into the situation where we might bear fruit. It is our responsibility to go forward in our Christian lives, growing in fruitfulness, yet always dependent upon the one who, who hears and answers our prayers. Amen.